0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. For you longtime listeners, I have a bit of a bittersweet announcement. Uh, The bitter is that James and I have decided Paperboys will be a bi-weekly format from now on. So we'll be releasing episodes every other Thursday, which is a huge change. Uh, But it turns out that grad school is very time consuming, and we would both like to graduate at some point. So uh, we're moving the podcast to a bi-weekly format, but hopefully it means we should be able to focus harder on those episodes, and give you better content every other week. The sweet is that this week we are releasing one of our bonus episodes. Uh, It's one that we talk about a lot on the show, and uh, finally we're going to let all you public ears listen to it. Um, It's about the mice that were raised in an experiment called Universe 25, where this crazy scientist put together a whole city utopia for these mice, and um, well, things went very, very wrong. So, Stay tuned and you'll hear all about it and uh, enjoy this week's episode and come back next week for some fresh paper boys. Hello and welcome to the Paper Boys bonus episode number four, October 2019 edition. My name's Charlie, here with co-host James, as always. Thanks for bringing me in, Charlie, like uh, we do every week. Yeah, I didn't really bring you in. You actually brought me in because we're in your apartment. It's true. It was more a figure of speech. I see. For, like, welcoming
1: me in to this next bonus episode. Like, queuing you
0: in, you know? Yeah. Like, like alright, bring him in, Jerry. One, two, three, four.
1: Yeah. Something like that. You also make a baseball metaphor, but that would fall flat with our European audience. Yes. What is Uh, baseball?
0: So, James, what are we here to talk about today? Well,
1: Charlie, we're here to talk about a very weird paper.
0: This (laughs) is like the most excited I've been about a bonus episode. You say that every bonus episode. Well, Because each one is better than the last. But I really mean it this time. This one's really cool
1: and really creepy, really creepy and eerie. I mean, I re- so have you ever
0: read the book The Rats of Nim? No, I have not. And when you texted me that earlier, I was like, you were like, oh, that's why they call it the Rats of Nim, and I was like, call what?
1: The Rats of what? Well, like, all right, let's take a step back. Do you ever get really nostalgic about those books you read as a kid that like really captured your imagination?
0: Yes. There's one about a some toad who kind of like lived by a river and I just remember the art <laughs> from it. And like, when I see yeah. pictures of that, I get really nostalgic.
1: Sort of like this English toad. Yes. Looking. Yeah. Yes. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Rats and Nim is like one of those fantasy ones. Kind of hmm. the rats like leave and start a life. It's been, I mean, literally a very long time since I read this book, everything got turned on its head. when I read this paper and the article about it, which you found, but Nim, I thought this was like a fantasy land. no, The Rats of Nim is the rats of the National Institute of Mental Health.
0: Wow. Boom. Like, cue the explosion sound. Mind explosion. I mean, this isn't a huge revelation because I didn't Mm. know it existed until now, but... It makes sense, too, when you actually
1: look at the title on the book because it's in all caps.
0: It's N-I-M-H, yeah. So that book is what, based on the rats, the mice we're going to be talking about today? Loosely inspired.
1: Okay. I mean, the guy who wrote the book, I think, is connected. I'm going to double check this. But I think he actually used to work with the lead researcher, Dr. Calhoun,
0: or worked at NEM. I saw I saw in this thing that he visited the lab, uh, like Dr. Calhoun's lab. So we're getting ahead of ourselves, as we always do on the bonus episode, because we don't have a proper intro. It's true. What we're going to be talking about today is this crazy experiment, but m- like, more so the guy who does this experiment. Well, we're really, we'll really be talking about the experiment, because this is Paperboys. But there's this guy... Dr. John Calhoun, who did a lot of work in like the 50s through the 70s or so on uh, mice, and specifically, like he built these utopias for mice and rats to live in. It was it's the perfect mouse world
1: because it's there's nothing to kill them. They escape from nature. They have ample food, mates, walk in four bedroom apartments. Yeah, he literally
0: describes like the housing as you know walk up apartments and stuff. But then life comes in and takes a funny twist. Yeah, it doesn't really go well. So now back to the rats of Nim, though. So yeah. the the author of that book apparently visited Dr. Calhoun's lab and was inspired and said these rats escaped from Nim. And okay, I just I just looked the story up his little bio too. He was
1: also a journalist for National Geographic, ah. so he had some like probably had some background reporting a on science nature background
0: there, a paper boy, if you will.
1: But yeah, I mean, and this is not the standard Paperboy's paper either in the sense of like, you know, story of rat utopia. We read about it, bring in the science. The science, the way it's at least presented is like (laughs) deep and dark. It's philosophical. Philosophical.
0: It's biblical. Literally biblical. It's literally biblical. This paper was like the most enjoyable and disturbing read of any episode that we've done. You yeah I don't know did you get the same sense like I felt when I was
1: reading this paper that I was getting like my emotions were getting dragged and embroiled in this like weird dystopian future
0: yes man I was like I felt like I was living with these mice and I was like experiencing their world and then I was totally extrapolating the whole thing to like today's society you know yeah it It was hard not to think of humans when reading this paper yeah, the, I've heard this said for, like, certain psychology
1: classes. Like, at the first day of class, the professor's like, do not apply this to people you know, yourself, or yeah. society, or you will go crazy. Yeah. And I think there should be bold red letters at the top of this paper Yeah, that say exactly the same thing, like, skull and crossbones, skull and crossbones. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let's proceed to discuss for the next hour how we think this applies to people. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Johnny. Yeah. Johnny Calhoun, that is. Johnny so- Calhoun backstory here i came across this article titled the doomed mouse utopia that inspired the rats of nim the subtitle dr john bumpus calhoun spent the 60s and 70s playing god to thousands of rodents so were you just surfing the web and you found this this is just like you know how in your browser like you open a new tab and then it has like a bunch of random suggested articles yeah i just i just did that okay and i just came across this and i was like wow Perfect bonus episode topic. Do not let me forget, I had the weirdest experience today. After reading
1: this, I did the same thing, and I went to BBC, and I found two articles that were, like, eerily similar to the content of this.
0: Really? About people. All right, well, let's cover those at the end. Yeah. I wonder if you're not having a little bit of a neck brace effect here, where you, uh, because you're thinking of it, the articles you read seem to be related. Everything seems like a... mouse dystopia right i mean you just told me before we recorded this that instagram is like a mouse utopia
1: no but i'm not sure that i buy
0: (laughs) i I think when i actually bring it up you'll be like huh
1: okay that's interesting okay well we'll save some of those
0: discussion points for the end it'll at least elicit a huh that's interesting okay i'll i'll tuck that (laughs) huh away and save it for when you tell me you'll at least be whelmed i'll be whelmed all right not underwhelmed, not overwhelmed. Yeah. So I read this article and it's talking about this uh this researcher, Dr. John Calhoun, who I guess he was originally hired by like the city of Baltimore mm-hmm. to help with their rat infestation problem. Ah, the old Norway rats. The Norway rats, yeah. I guess that's the species or strain. What I don't know whatever. It's <laughs> not not species. <laughs> probably species <laughs> <That's> so strange, <laughs> uh, and I guess this guy was just this like total tinkerer, and he loved catching animals as a kid and stuff, so he built this little like city for these rats in little his yard little is an understatement, what do you mean? It was a quarter acre, really, yeah, oh, I missed that, yeah, that's huge it was i mean it could support he estimated like five thousand rats. <laughs>
1: just a small city
0: that of I mean rats. for rat scale that is like city size. So I guess what he wanted to see was like all right, well let's see how they take over and infest this small like microcosm and then we can extrapolate to see how they're doing it in the whole city.
1: Yeah, because the city's just like infested, right?
0: Yeah, and point? they're all over and they're blowing up and like and they're behaving like normal rats, you know, they're running around and scavenging and making lots of babies. But what he found is like his populations never exceeded something like 150 rats. Yeah, it's crazy cuz they had food, they had housing. Yeah, he they gave had them everything. water. And the weird thing that I think he was noticing in these early experiments was like these rats would start behaving very strange socially. They like didn't mm-hmm. act normal anymore and they wouldn't reproduce and they like they just started like rolling little balls of dirt for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> creative outlet. I honestly that's kind of what I Thought as well when i was reading this i was like that sounds like art i think they i mean they uh, he actually interprets it like that like really
1: <laughs> you can't have they were missing some sort of social outlet or something
0: yeah so he has all these kind of theories that like once you once you like remove these external factors that like cause you to die or once there's not enough physical space for you anymore you need like a conceptual space and uh-huh. i think he kind of talks about how like art is that for people interesting yeah i i totally agree with that yeah and this article sort of mentions how like there was like uh some author hg wells maybe like has this concept of the world brain and calhoun was like really obsessed with this world brain thing because he's like that's a conceptual space where like we can continue humanity and the author of this news article points out like that's basically what the internet is now yeah yeah I mean, yeah, that's a really
1: interesting point. Yeah. So I mean, there's your Instagram mind brain pitch. <laughs> well, so for people listening, should we dive into like the timeline of how events happen? Because he, he so Calhoun, basically spent a 40 year career building these mouse and rat colonies, and I think from what I understood, he basically observed this every single time. Yeah, in different scenarios, like made small tweaks and stuff, but basically every single time. They would never quite get to the full capacity of what their environment could support. And I mean, it gets like sort of like uh, Lord of the Flies creepy and weird. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the paper that we actually read is a 1973 paper from the Proceedings of the Royal Society of Medicine, volume 66, January 1973. It's open access. So if you are curious, we'll post a link. You should check it out. It's a good read. I mean, it's, uh, it's actually a really good read. It does not read like a normal scientific paper. No. The title is Death Squared, The Explosive Growth and Demise of the Mouse Population. That should be indication enough. And
0: then he so starts dramatic. by talking about the- Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, before we dive into the paper, I feel like we just went, we were in Baltimore building this rat city, but that's not where this work is. No. So this was. this is like 20 years after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and so this is a new, oh, yeah, this is a new rat colony that's built. He's had, like, a lot of investment from National Institute of Health. Yeah,
0: he's, like, he's, like, gone through a bunch of these things. And now this paper that we're covering is kind of, like, the culmination of all that work. Yeah. This is, like, his magnum opus, Mouse Utopia, where he's going to see, like, is this really going to work, basically. Like, his Beethoven's Fifth. Yes, exactly. And it's called Universe 25, which is, it sounds like a dystopian movie or something doesn't it yeah i mean it's worth i think it's worth just reading at least like the first
1: paragraph or at least the first two sentences
0: yeah i mean i pasted the whole thing here to read it it's pretty intense (laughs) all right should i put on my best john b calhoun voice
1: yeah you got to give this some gravitas i shall largely speak of mice but my thoughts are on man on healing on life and its evolution This This is a science paper. Threatening life and evolution are the two deaths, death of the spirit and death of the body. Evolution, in terms of ancient wisdom, is the acquisition of access to the tree of life. This takes us back to the white first horse of the apocalypse, capital A, (laughs) which with its rider set to conquer the forces that threaten the spirit with death. Further, in Revelation... Two dot seven we note to him who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, and further on, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations, and then basically, this paper gets dark
0: dude, it's like that is that's the first paragraph of an academic research paper. Proceedings of the Royal Society of <laughs> yeah. Medicine. this like past peer review, and yeah. everything. How intense is that?
1: I mean, let's put this in context, too. January 1973. Man has walked on the moon. David (laughs) Bowie's already reached space to Odyssey. Yeah. Woodstock happened. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix is dead. The doors are dead.
0: Wow. Depressing. Yeah. So what's your point there? Just that this is not as old as we think. It's not that old. Yeah. I mean, it's a modern scientific paper. Yeah, like, you would expect to maybe see this in, like, the the foreword of that book from 1830, like, those guys on an expedition looking at spiders, you know. The
1: spiders flying, or yeah. even, like, the early nature papers that we read. Mm, yeah. You know, like, um, Sir Arthur Eddington, and they're, like, a little more informal and talking, but, like, yeah. this is, like, formal biblical.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was presented at, like, a conference that is probably much like one that we would attend today.
1: Yeah. Also, I love that he quotes the Bible and puts different the like different deaths in italics. And he goes, italics, mine. Italics, mine. Just to clarify.
0: Yeah. The Bible doesn't actually italicize these.
1: Like Matthew wasn't there writing these in italics. Yeah. I don't know. So
0: so should I should I read that second paragraph?
1: Yeah, we don't we don't want to bore you
0: guys by just reading this paper. But like this is an awesome paragraph. These two paragraphs like really set the tone. So yeah, Just to give you a sense of like what this paper is like. And granted, the rest of it is actually fairly, like it's more technical, but it does, it bakes this kind of stuff really into it. There are a few gray lines we should touch on. But. Yeah. And it's also important to read this paragraph because it actually, it uses the book of Revelations as like the framework, like his technical framework for the paper, which is yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, it's like the first citation is like Bible, the book Bible. of Revelations. Yeah. So... Uh so the second paragraph this takes us to the fourth horse of the apocalypse i saw a pale horse and its rider's name was death and hades followed him and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth and this is where he says italics mine because he italicized sword famine pestilence and wild beasts which are going to be like technical points in this paper (laughs) Yeah. Which is crazy. This second death has gradually become the predominant concern of modern medicine, and yet there is nothing in the earlier history of medicine or in the precepts embodied in the Hippocratic Oath that precludes medicine from being equally concerned with healing the spirit and healing nations as with healing the body. Perhaps me white...
1: Perhaps... I...
0: Me white... (laughs) perhaps we might do well to reflect upon another of john's transcriptions he who conquers shall not be hurt by the second death he's like using biblical quotes as like scientific support for this paper and actually kind of making a good point yeah
1: well so then table one is a comparison table between the biblical <laughs> revel- references in revelations and then the ecological expression of these it's amazing so- one, sword. One, emigration. Famine then maps to A, resource shortage. B, inclement weather and fire and cataclysms of nature. Pestilence maps to
0: disease. Wild beast is predation. Yeah. Like so he, Predators. So he's basically like the reason why he italicized those things is because he's saying like in any society, what are the sources of that the first death, the death of the body? And he kind of uses those four things to say... Like if you had mice in the wild, the things that would kill them are, yeah, emigration. Like if they were, if they normally like, if a population gets too large, the mice that don't make it socially, they have to find somewhere else to live. Yeah. Emigrate.
1: Then uh, that includes killing each other. Oh, does it? Yeah.
0: Okay. The I sword. I kind of missed that. Oh, but, sword, yeah. But that yeah. rarely, that, ha- that happens so rarely that I think it's like, it's oh, like it was mostly emigration. You're right. That's what he says. Yeah. Resource shortage is like obvious. I mean, that's like you don't have enough shelter. You don't have enough food. His other interpretation of famine is weather, which he prevents by building this utopia indoors, so Mm -hmm. There's no weather to worry about. Um, And then pestilence is disease. And so what he did is actually they sourced these mice to build the colony from the National Institute of Health. They had like some pristine breeding colony of mice that are like immune to whatever kind of epidemic diseases might infect mice. So they got like great genetically pure mice, and then the wild beasts of the apocalypse would yeah. be predators, which obviously don't exist in this utopia, like he just built this thing with nothing around,
1: yeah, he took away all the horsemen of the of revelations
0: the apocalypse yeah. yeah, so that's his point is like if we remove these things, if we remove all these sources of the first death, which I have done through all the reasons we just listed, what happens to society so I pulled up another paper of his from 1970
1: that was looking back on some of his previous experiments. That's one page, equally philosophical. And in the beginning, he opens with, in the celebrated thesis of Thomas Malthus, vice and misery impose the ultimate natural limit on the growth of populations. Have you heard of Thomas Malthus? I have heard the name.
0: I I wasn't. Philosopher?
1: Yeah, I wasn't familiar. He was like a big influence on James Maynard Keynes. Okay. Like an economist? Yeah. Okay. He's an 18th, 19th century cleric and scholar who worked in political economy and demography. Wrote a famous book called An Essay on the Principle of Population. Funny that he called a book an essay. But <laughs> uh, human. he had some pretty interesting quotes. I just bring this up because I think it sets an interesting context for yeah. what we're about to find as we dive into the depths of the paper. Yeah. And like for what Calhoun's mind is like. Yeah, cause, yeah, he's quoting this guy. I mean, he's quoting Revelations and he's co- quoting Thomas Malthus. So. Yeah. Malthus is known for saying humans have the tendency to use abundance for population growth rather than for maintaining a high standard of living. Hmm. So if you have abundance, your tendency will be to have babies and expand the population rather than use that for yourself. Hmm. Second, he felt that this was the crux of utopia population is indefinitely greater than the power in the earth to produce subsi- subsistence for man.
0: So wait, is Malthus the one who's like famous for predicting like the world can't possibly support a population greater than, you know, some number and he projected that that would happen in like 1870 and then like we've obviously we've overcome exceeded. that. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like but I think this influenced that. Yeah, there's someone who was like famous for that was their big like prediction and like their big theory and then it's like, well, didn't really happen (laughs) yeah i i don't know if he came up with the number
1: but uh, this sort of ties it together and ties it in especially with the bible reference and like the morality of it he had these like three sentences uh which you can find on wikipedia but it's pretty interesting said that the increase of population is necessarily limited by the means of subsistence That population does invariably increase when the means of subsistence increases so more resources more population Mm mm-hmm And this one's the kicker that the superior power of population is repressed by moral restraint, vice and misery. So you have to make yourself. So population is repressed by like those bad things. Well, he's basically saying that like virtuous behavior is the answer for keeping population in check.
0: Huh. And it takes like Calhoun's (laughs) muse for his research. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's like either by moral restraint, vice, or like vice and misery. Yeah. Will you do this? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I went down, I'm not even going to call it a rabbit hole, because they're not the subject. A mouse hole. <laughs> a mouse hole. Reading about this. But let's dive in. We've been talking
0: about how dark this paper is. Yeah, it is pretty depressing. And I feel like the Malthus quotes you just brought in were depressing enough to bring us to that point, so... I mean the article that we found this in is called the doomed mouse utopia yeah and the title of the paper is death squared (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is like a really sick like i mean the utopia that he built was this giant square and so he's like and like exponential growth and exponential growth and decline and then also like at the end he has this weird passage where he's like describing what death squared means through like equations (laughs) It's really weird. Whoa,
1: I actually missed that. Oh, you missed so, it? So do you want to walk us through the timeline of what
0: happened in the experiment? Yeah. Um, first, uh, like at the very end of the paper, like after the conclusion, but before the references, there's this weird like equational layout where he's like, mortality, bodily death equals the second death. Drastic reduction of mortality equals death of the second death, death squared. Oh, Death squared leads to a dissolution of social organization. Jesus. Equals death of the establishment. Death of the establishment leads to spiritual death. Equals loss of capacity to engage in behaviors essential to species survival. Equals the first death. Therefore, death squared equals the first death. Happy is the
1: man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. All her paths lead to peace. Proverbs.
0: Yeah, that's that's how the paper ends. <laughs> that weird set of equations and then a passage that he personally rearranged from the Bible. And then references. <laughs> it's strange. It's very weird, man. This this paper was like a spiritual experience. I feel like I needed like a, a soundtrack while I was reading it. Yeah, that was intense, man. Yeah. So, anyway, you asked, what's the timeline of this experiment? He... Kind of breaks this whole thing down into like phases based on kind of the macroscopic observations of what happened throughout the course of this experiment. And it took like several years. This is yeah, a this couple isn't years. Like, yeah. He starts out the experiment by taking these eight mice. I think there's four pairs of mice that he puts in together, uh, which we mentioned they're sourced from the National Institute of Health. They're like very pristine mice, puts them into this giant colony that he's built. It's like this square enclosure that is like 2.6 meters on each wall and then all the walls are like 1.6 meters high yep and it like from the videos and stuff it looks like there's like sort of chicken
1: wire and stuff like the mice can climb around and walk around like they have the whole volume almost
0: yes i mean he's built all up along the walls in ways that they can climb so that they can like live it like vertically as well as horizontally it looks like an urban mouse environment it actually does i mean it kind of looks like a bunch of high rises Like they can, uh, they have a bunch of nests that are all built in. And he actually describes these nests as four unit, walk up, one room apartments. (laughs) And they kind of are like, so, and and in each apartment, you know, 15 mice can live comfortably. And he's like built this whole thing. And then right near all the apartments, there's like these food supplies and there's water supplies that are unlimited and like have enough space at them for all the mice to feed there if they need to. Yeah. There's no competition for that, for those resources
1: it's interesting and they start with eight i thought that was interesting because it's like it's so few but apparently it's enough to carry population
0: yeah it's very few and i guess so phase a he observes and which takes 104 days and in these first 104 days there's no litters born so these eight mice just like live there and i guess they're like they fight a lot there's like a lot of he calls it um social turmoil quote unquote yeah and it's just you know kind of what you'd expect if you put a bunch of mice in a cage together it's like the
1: opening scene of 2001 space odyssey
0: yeah you know the monkeys monkeys throwing bones and not sure what's going on yeah so that's 104 days nothing happens and then phase b happens where there's suddenly like this explosive population growth so now the the first eight mice they've learned to kind of get along and live together and like how could they not i mean they have thousands of shelters available to them and only eight of them to live there Mm -hmm. it's easy to kind of spread out right so they start having babies and there's this explosive population growth where the population starts doubling every 55 days and eventually it reaches a population of 620 mice Mm -hmm. which like which only took i think like less than a year yeah to get to that point from eight from eight it's insane 620 mice cousins this is like a small square cousins of cousins and yeah
1: daughters and
0: dads and brothers and It's weird. Like imagine, I mean, this colony is the size of like an area rug in your apartment. Like, you know, this is not a visual podcast, but James and I are standing on a rug right now in a small apartment that is about the size of this mouse colony. Yeah. Look down and imagine there were 620 mice on this rug. Which, I mean, it sounds like a lot and it is a
1: lot, but resource wise, there's no reason it couldn't support more. I mean, it could support like over 3,000.
0: Right, which is actually what's really impressive about this small little area. Yeah. You can fit 3,000 mice in there.
1: And then
0: things start getting weird, don't they? Right after phase B. Yeah, so um, phase C is where things kind of take a a weird turn. Weird is the only way to describe it. Uh, Actually, I think I wrote insane in my notes. but I have uh, the word gross with a lot of S's (laughs) and some emojis. It is gross. So the main thing that characterizes phase C is that this exponential population increase that they've been observing slows down. So the population is still increasing, but it's increasing at a lower rate. And the behaviors start to change. Yeah. Well, so that's what, so Calhoun then describes, I guess, these behaviors that he thinks are contributing to why the population growth slowed. What are some of them? So I I wrote down a couple that I think are worth talking about. One is um th- like this really in- interesting observation of do you remember the part about like the, all these male mice that start collecting in the center of the city? Yeah. It's like the young they're it's like the next
1: generation and they're kind of shunned by the older mice. Yeah. Like they don't can't really socially interact with them, they can't get a job cuz they're mice. They couldn't find mates.
0: Like yeah, the women they didn't really them fit in. Yeah. They're like the outcast males, yeah. But males in particular, yes, yeah, just these males, and they all like congregated in the middle and started living just right in the center of this thing together. Even though there were tons of available apartments on the walls, still avail, like still there. Mm-hmm. Like we're not even close to the population capacity of this universe. There, yeah,
1: there's something like twenty percent of the housing never got used. Yeah,
0: was like unoccupied at any time,
1: and instead. Th- Like they started to crowd and around the different
0: areas, like different feeding spots. Yeah. And these, these mice that lived in the middle, he calls them like withdrawn males. And they start like fighting with each other. They get like really agitated just by the presence of each other. And like just doing just like weird, gross stuff. Yeah. Weird sexual behavior.
1: One thing I was surprised to read was like they wouldn't even fight if they were getting attacked. They would just like let the attacker start biting them. Yeah. And there's a, did you watch the video? There's this eight minute video that's posted with the news article. And like they show these rat or mice, like they're just like gnarled up. It's really gross.
0: No, I didn't see the video, but
1: they're just, I mean, they're bloody. Like
0: mice apparently eat each other's tails. Oh man. So this sounds brutal. <laughs> so one thing that we didn't really mention about phase B like the part where the population exploded is that like this whole social order like fell into place basically mm-hmm. and i think this is probably why these males end up withdrawn in the center because they didn't fit into that social order and the social order was actually like geographic yes yeah like there were prime living spots prime eating spots
1: one of the things i thought that was interesting in the paper was he did a uh, rank versus number of babies in the litter yeah And so to sort of establish the social rank, like the higher rank you were in this mouse colony, the more babies you were having. Yeah. And it was like the difference of like a hundred babies over some period of time. So like one, the rank one had 110 babies, I think over like maybe one doubling period. Yeah. And then the lowest rank had like 10.
0: Yeah. And they were distributed spatially such that the Southwest corner had the there it was he kind of broke it up into like maybe like 16 or so slices like radial slices of this square and so the slice facing the southwest corner had this 111 babies and the slice in the northeast corner had 13 babies and there was like this structure where as you went from the northeast corner around the circle down to the southwest corner in either direction the litters got bigger and bigger yep with some weird, like, periodic structure to it, but the general trend being more babies in the Southwest.
1: It's so... Str- I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for good infographics, yeah. and this one is really cool. Like, a top view of the little, like, terrarium area that they Universe live. Universe 25. Universe 25, so it's called. And uh, it's little bar graphs of how many pups were born. It's cool. It's worth checking out if you like infographics.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of info, like, encoded right into that plot. It's showing, like, where... Where the babies were born relative to the food within the slice that they live in, and also like how high up off the ground, like what level of the wall were they born in, and stuff. Because, like, lower I think ended up being correlated with a higher rank in society, yeah, exactly. And what's weird is like the male mice, like it was broken up into this radial structure because in each one of those, there was one dominant male mouse Mm -hmm. who had like a harem of females. And so, like, his, quote-unquote, productivity was associated with how many were in his, like, all of his litters.
1: Yeah. He's a little sex machine. <laughs> Seriously. The, um, this is another famous James tangent. Um, <laughs> it, this really gets me thinking about Richard Feynman's commencement speech. And mm-hmm. he says something really interesting. You know, we've talked about this on so many different episodes. But he talks about psychology and good science experiments. And it makes me wonder, in this case, if there's some other factor. You know, we talked about this in the goats episode. Like, is there some other bias? The reason that specifically I think about uh, Feynman's analysis is he talks about these mouse experiments where scientists were having mice and rats run mazes. And they weren't quite sure what this behavior was or how they were finding it. And one guy observed that the mice and rats were really good at detecting, like, hollowness under the maze so if they huh. were running on like a table they could sort of use that to help find a specific door and so he reset up the experiment and on sand and found differences whereas Whoa. other people were convinced it was this other phenomenon that was happening hmm. i'm not describing it really well it's worth reading
0: there's always some but, like r- random external factor though not always yeah. i shouldn't say always but
1: and maybe in this case it's just like random chance that they started living in the southwest like the highest rank you got to pick somewhere to live yeah and then it just spread out from that.
0: Yeah. But, dude, it's actually really interesting you bring that up because the, after the references in this paper, they mm-hmm. published like all of the questions and like the discussion that happened w- at the conference when he presented this. Yeah. And that's and, really uh, cool. That was one of the people in the audience asked that exact question of about like this geographic thing. And Dr. Calhoun says pretty much exactly what you just said. He's like, I believe that this actually was a, a social force that caused it to be distributed this way. I think that it was probably chance that, you know, because someone was suggesting like, you know, maybe there was just a breeze in this room that made that corner more favorable. And so that's why everyone wanted to live there. And he's like, I really believe that this was actually social order and that maybe there was a breeze on the day when it started that way. And, you know, butterfly effect, it pushes it so that that's the most advantageous place on day one. Yeah. But then, The reason why it continued and progressed the way that it did was all social ordering. Once the seed is planted, it just grows out from there. Right. I mean, that's what he says, but it's it's like, you know, New York City, I'm not a fan of. It's like kind of not a fun place to live, in my opinion. But socially, it's a very cool place to live. And so it drives, you know, I shouldn't be extrapolating this to humans, but. But he certainly did this whole paper. (laughs) Yeah. And if I were a mouse in that thing. Yeah. You would look at the southwest corner and say, That's where all that's where everyone lives. That's where the most dominant male lives. That's the place to be, you know. Yeah. That's, and where, if Donald,
1: that's where Donald Trump lives.
0: That's yeah, Trump Tower is the southwest Trump corner. Tower. If you're a a especially if you're a female mouse, you probably want to associate with the most dominant male because that's the best protection. And then probably the lower ranking males start moving in that direction or yeah. Right. And so they naturally, you know, you're not gonna make your way around to the next unit because the slightly more dominant male is going to get you you know Uh, so if if donald trump decided to live in the southwest corner you know he could have picked he could have (laughs) picked the northwest corner and it would have went the same way but with northwest being the top
1: yeah interesting this isn't even like this is just scratching the surface of what happens so you get the males who are isolated in the center sorry Um, yeah we bounced back
0: to phase b so going back to phase c where things start breaking down
1: Let's talk about some of the other weird, weird things that started to emerge. There was this case
0: that I thought was really strange of the beautiful ones. Oh, man. Dude, the beautiful ones, like, this is really creeping me out. Although, was this phase C or was this a phase D? This might be phase D. Yeah, I actually have a note here. This was in phase D, but I have a note here. Male counterparts to these non-reproducing females were soon dubbed the beautiful ones. And I wrote a note creepy <laughs> yes very it creepy. is creepy uh, so okay before we get to the beautiful ones yeah uh we'll let you guys
1: mull that over and it's <laughs> yeah, all we'll of its creepiness in your mind um some of the other behavior that was weird was like there was ample food distributed pretty homogeneously across the cage like there were drinking and eating posts but the mice started congregating and eating and drinking together and there were there's crowding and you can see this really easily in the videos but it's like there's some sort of social togetherness where it's like, I mean, this is me projecting whatever I think about it. And from what, what the paper said, interpreting the actions of the mice. But it's like when you watch it, you get the sense that there's something more important about them being together than eating or drinking. It's yeah. sort of like this togetherness has overtaken the like importance of taking in nutrients.
0: Because cause the act of eating the nutrients is no longer just for survival. Yeah. It's like because, the, I mean, again inferring here, you're getting soft i'm riffing so don't take any of this as scientifically accurate but like if you don't need it's like a wolf in the wild will eat anything that's get put in front of it and like we'll just devour anything because it's like i don't know when my next meal is and i need to eat as much as i can yeah a dog at home especially a very pampered dog you'll put a bowl down and they might like sniff it and then kind of walk around and like not eat it for a while yeah, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be one of these badass wolves. <laughs> uh, but it's no, if it's no longer about, you know, this is a survival tactic to eat whatever is put in front of me, then they're not going to go find whatever source of food. They're probably more interested in hanging out. Yeah, just chilling. Like we have their mice buddies catching up on the mice mouse news. Yeah, doesn't Calhoun call those mice um, "quote unquote" social drinkers? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just you see like reading his comments about it and his observations i'm like am i just seeing this mouse world that he's been seeing all along or am i applying my own vision of the universe of like you know like millennials going out and drinking and partying all the time and like shunning responsibility i don't know
0: no i totally thought the same thing like the only i mean this is a really cool paper to read but i feel like we didn't do a good job of saying upfront, like But by the way, this isn't really, like, I don't want to say it's it's not science, but it's... It's not the most, like, hard,
1: objective science. I think we did a pretty good job of saying that by being like, oh, and the first book that he cites is Revelations.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But But my point being just that, like, Calhoun wrote this, and he's, like, the primary researcher on it, and, like, it's impossible for him to write this, especially since he writes so subjectively. It's impossible for him to write it without, like, convincing us of what he believes to be true yeah you know, he's not just presenting you know a set of data and in fact even like when people ask these questions at the end he's at some points he's like well we can't really do that until we do like a good statistical analysis on that data it's like so i mean none of this is like a numerical study this is just like it's very much a behavioral study yeah which would be hard to make objective and i
1: saw some quote from him where it's like uh you do get this ominous apocalyptic feel from it and he's like you know i'm going out and just looking at this and trying to make some sense of it if this is really what happens we need to act on it we don't have time to just figure out every step of the equation
0: yeah he actually like predicted that 1984 would be like a point of no return of like not of like oh population density is too high but like beyond that time it will be too late to like reverse the societal breakdown that he observes in like phase c so interesting we keep straying away from phase c but he kind of goes into what he kind of thinks is like the main reason for the breakdown of the society Mm -hmm. which is this the female mice stop mothering their children basically this part is so strange it's very strange yeah the males who have been like dominating each of these areas of the universe. I guess they just get very overwhelmed and stressed from, from like all the territorial fighting. And so they kind of like stop being able to continue playing that role that like the male mouse would typically play in this society. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the females end up becoming very territorial and very aggressive and and it stresses them out. Yeah. And he mentions that the female mice have to start taking on
1: new roles they wouldn't have before. And, just to sort of put this into context as well, you know, we talked about phase C as being marked by a decrease in the rate of population growth, but most of this is because of infant mortality.
0: Yes. infant it's mortality not, not
1: older mice dying and having less babies,
0: but the infants dying, no. the ones that are born. He actually says, like, uh, old age is pretty much not really even a cause of death until the very end of this experiment. Yeah, because like- the, the mice live, like super long it's like 800 days
1: yeah equivalent to like 80 years in for a human 80 human years yeah yeah i yeah i thought this was interesting so what were some of the other like female behavior changes they
0: started like picking up their babies and randomly leaving them places so they started like so first of all they stopped having as much sex Uh so there was just less babies being born and then on top of that the females were, like, they started to occupy these, like, higher-up places and, like, started to move around a lot more because they're being territorial. Yeah, and the, the higher-up places are less desirable. Less desirable. And so they started moving around, and in these moves, they would sometimes lose their children. And, if it, you know, if one of these baby mice gets lost, it's going to die. Yeah. You know? And then the other thing is that they started kicking their children out when they were too young. Before they were fully weaned. Before they were fully weaned and they hadn't been socialized properly. So they kick them out and they go out. Actually, I I highlighted a good little passage. He says, by midway in phase C, this is another one of these ones that is impossible to read without thinking of like millennials today. Yeah. And like in a way that makes you feel bad, you know. By midway in phase C, essentially all young were prematurely rejected by their mothers. They started independent life without having developed adequate affective bonds. Then as they moved out into an already dense population, many attempts to engage in social interaction were mechanically disrupted by passage of other mice. So they're being kicked out too early. They don't know how to behave. And then they can't actually get any good opportunity to learn these skills because there's just too many mice around. Yeah it would be like again using the new york analogy it'd be like getting dropped into new york at age like 15 and being told like well you're on your own yeah you'd be screwed like and like the only jobs that are
1: available to you are like i don't know highly technical skilled jobs where it's like you need a college education and all this stuff you're just like going into this totally unprepared right and being shunned like not only that People are attacking you. No one wants you
0: because they don't need you, you know? Yeah. It's sad. It's really (laughs) sad. And these mice end up becoming these withdrawn ones who go and live in the center with a bunch of other males. And the interesting thing, yeah, not only are they, like, shunned from
1: society, but it seems like they start taking out this loneliness on society, too. Like, they start attacking the females. This is part of the aggressiveness of the females is in response to these attacks by these like rogue males that have too much energy or whatever. Yeah. And some of them then I I really want to get into the beautiful ones because they're weird. Yeah. The beautiful one is weird. So So, I mean this transition, this like new macro behavior transitions
0: the population into phase D, which is a stagnation of the population and, and and decline. Yeah. So at the end of the phase C section, Calhoun says, for all practical purposes, there had been a death of societal organization by the end of phase C, and that only took 600 days, I think 600 total days of the experiment.
1: Yes, 600 total days.
0: So it was about
1: 500 days of booming for phase B and C. This is exponential growth.
0: I think phase B, phase B started about at 100 days. yeah, and then phase C started at like 400. Yep. And now phase D starts at 600. So, like, I mean, the societal collapse happens actually relatively quickly. Yes. And this
1: is interesting. I'm just going to read from the paper. So you get these male mice that are counterparts to non-reproducing females. And Calhoun soon dubbed them the beautiful ones. <laughs> they never engaged in sexual approaches towards females. And they never engaged in fighting. So they had no wound or scar tissue thus their pelage remained in excellent condition their behavioral repertoire seemed largely confined to eating drinking sleeping and grooming none of which carried any social implications beyond that represented by contiguity of bodies and
0: really weird
1: the weird thing too is like they did some other little studies with them
0: yeah and these mice were dumb yeah um they w- I think his colleague Marsden or something like took these mice out of universe 25 and put them in like a smaller separate study and they didn't know how to behave
1: yeah they put them in new environments they would like introduce them to a shoe and they would just like keep following it dumbly that's so weird they like couldn't learn how to respond to new stimuli
0: that's so weird they also i i guess they put them in like a very you know much less densely populated like little area with even females who had not grown up in universe 25 like females who behaved totally normally were ready to reproduce and these beautiful ones didn't do anything they didn't yeah. know how to even like behave in a way that would lead to reproduction it's weird so weird I, literally it's like, like it's it's weird because it's like you think about this on the high level you take away these causes of death these like natural causes of death and now you don't have a natural cause to reproduce yeah i mean he kind of says that early in the paper he's like ultimately any population like they are reproducing at a rate that has naturally reached a point that offsets the rate at which they die or even is greater than but if you don't have any mice dying then it's amazing that like i mean that theory actually holds up yeah and maybe this you know we talk about we know that
1: there was addition there was enough research there were enough resu- sources In this environment to support more mice yes but there was it seems like there was almost this social weight that kept them from getting close to that physical capacity like 20 percent of the lodging wasn't occupied yes but maybe there's so much of a stigma of going there that they don't want to go into these other ones yeah maybe they don't want to eat at those other places you know like it's hard even just talking about it not to personify it and be like maybe the mice didn't want to go to those empty restaurants or like you but know. it's
0: it's also it almost is like a case for government, you know. Like yeah, we came up with government pretty much to like get around this problem. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, about it, like
1: if humans are going to encounter this, you need some external force that's like looking over it to be like, no, 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 we need people here otherwise like other
0: stuff starts to collapse. Yeah, and I don't even mean that like oh you need a government to like tell people where to live. I mean like No, no, but to incentivize it. In order for all the mice to... In order to have reached the population limit of like 3,000 or whatever it was, you'd have 15 mice in every apartment living in close proximity and yada yada. To live like that, you kind of need some rules that everyone understands, that everyone like has agreed to Mm -hmm. in order to not just like go crazy, you know, (laughs) like... And nice city parks to escape (laughs) from the density and,
1: you know... No, but... I mean, I mean that somewhat facetiously, but also very seriously. But,
0: like, I need a law that makes it punishable to bust into my apartment, shoot me, and take my things, and then take it back to your apartment next door. Yeah, you can't just barge into my apartment and eat my wife's tail. Yeah, exactly. You know? That tail is mine to eat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there you go. Uh, But, no, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Like, it's weird. I mean... And, you know, listening to hardcore history a lot, I, I think about this a lot. Like, you hear in history, there's so many things where this happens, like some civilization, very high society, and then it descends into chaos once, like, survival becomes, yeah, like, part of the equation, you know? Yeah. I mean,
1: truthfully, it's like in the U.S., if you grow up in a middle-class family, you'll never experience what hunger is. I mean, if you grow up in almost any situation in the U.S., yeah, like, you know, these feelings that, like especially bringing up hardcore history probably most of the people in europe experienced at some time during world war one or world war two
0: yeah or also half of the world right now yeah yeah but you know people's interactions
1: change very much under duress yes And and
0: what's interesting is like the duress in this case is opulence yeah without order you know it's like if you just dropped into like you know some uncontacted tribe in the amazon And then you just gave them, like, guns and just, like, mountains of food and everything. Like, I feel like their society would cease to exist as it did before. Yeah. You know, it would turn into something else and maybe good or maybe bad. But, like, you would not be able to sustain the regular life that was there before. Yes. Yeah.
1: Or, like, this is a stretch. But it's, like, this whole thing reminds me of, like, people feeling depressed about, like, not having enough likes on Instagram. You know? It's, like... It's a total social problem. Like, you are fine. You are, you know, reproductively able. And from the, from the total evolutionary perspective, like, you're fit, you're, you know, whatever. But, like, you won't go outside because you're like, oh, my God, the world won't accept me or something like that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, using, like, likes on Instagram is more of just a proxy for, like, in general, I feel like we have a major mental health problem. Stressing about fake thing. Uh, not fake, but... But things that are not... Um, like a threat to your life yes you know what i mean where like in the past that would probably be all you could worry about all you had time to worry about you know and now like we have we have such i'll use the word opulence again like we have such a high quality of life and like no threats to our well-being you know realistically i would say we you and i are very privileged to live in this where we do yeah um and people just get super depressed
1: like being depressed for a week because of a grade on like a math test or something. Right. Probability test in my case. Right. But,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> not speaking from experience or anything, but well, uh, so, but no, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point. Like it's again, we're doing this thing where we're drawing a lot of parallels to this mice study. I mean, that's say humans, but it's really hard not to. Like, that's why it's so
1: that. interesting. Yeah. It's
0: Forcibly like you can't help it. Yeah. And, and I, I don't really believe that like the findings of this study apply to humans it's more that like this study is a really interesting um whatever the opposite of thought experiment is (laughs) you know it's a really interesting like actual experiment that it's a catalyst for more thought thought yeah Yeah, you know what i mean totally well so okay
1: taking this looking back on this past experiment and looking forward a little bit and totally interpolating to humans (laughs) extrapolating probably (laughs) you know one of the biggest similar crises that's both social but also physical and real right now is obviously climate change mm. that people are talking about a lot and i've heard this from many people who are like i'm not gonna have kids because i think it's ir- like either they say it's irresponsible
0: or they're like they're just too worried you're they, a newly married man so <laughs> they i don't do know say what you that think that is but, like the number one thing that you can do if you want to reduce your carbon footprint quote unquote is just don't have kids yeah every it's people that are causing child in the
1: U S is like 58 tons of carbon per year. Yeah. And so let me put this into perspective for you. Here I am. It's, you know, this afternoon, I just (laughs) finished reading this paper and all the commentary go to BBC. I'm thinking about this and they say the headline is the couples rethinking kids because of climate change. Wow. There you go. And there's an article about a couple who was serving in the peace corps in Malawi in africa and they saw the impact like that climate change has on real people and they're like i don't want to support climate change wow and then this is the second paper so you have to <laughs> tell me if the if i went a little too okay. uh too far but this paper is how to slow down the world's fastest shrinking country but in it they bring up a un report wait wait what's the fastest shrinking country uh bulgaria is one of the fastest shrinking countries as in the population is declining in terms of population leaving because of emigration. Wow. And so sword, the biblical sword, the biblical sword strikes again. (laughs) And there's a link to this in a really interesting UN report about like populations in crisis, but they also do a lot of population modeling for the world. And they show this, like we are very much, uh, we, okay. Most of the world, except sub Saharan Africa is in this point of population growth decline. Where oh, population really? growth is leveling out.
0: Really? So we're That's entering alarming phase, we're in phase C. No, phase. Oh, you're right. That is phase C.
1: We're in phase C already.
0: Oh, no. Yep. No. I mean, I, I totally believe it.
1: Yeah. I mean, dude, all these weird startups and stuff. Uber <laughs> Eats. That's phase C behavior. <laughs> Rats rolling little balls of dirt. Carrying food pellets over to their other
0: rat friends <laughs> in exchange for another food pellet. Man, dude, maybe we are in phase C. I think we're in phase C. I feel like maybe the world wars was like uh the inflection point. Yeah. People were like people were like, "Well, war is bad. We should stop being territorial like this. Time for phase C. Time for phase C." <laughs> no, I'm just again riffing and totally irresponsible. Let's
1: just groom ourselves for the rest of eternity.
0: <laughs> yeah, you and I are certainly the beautiful ones.
1: But yeah i mean you can't tell Aver, from our beautiful podcast voices in looks
0: i have no scars from any other mice well you don't have a tail anymore though that's true it got gnawed off back in world war one back in nom <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, bad highly insensitive so uh we didn't really wrap up this paper actually but basically i mean as you as we kind of have implied a thousand times all the rat all the mice died <laughs> so phase d the population just like tanked. Yeah. And by um by March 1st, 1972, so for context, this experiment started in July 1968. By March 1st, 1972, the average age of survivors was 776 days, which is 200 days past menopause. Yeah. So they're living way past when like their reproductive systems even work, and by June 22nd, 1972, there were only 122 mice left and this is from a population that peaked at like 2000 what's really
1: fascinates me too is like it's not like the population goes down and rebounds back up no it just
0: dies and calhoun even says that he's like typically you expect he's like we have models and we have experiments and real life things where we've observed once the population tanks to a certain thing in nature the remaining survivors are able to reinitiate population growth. Yeah. But in this case, they didn't because they were all too old and hadn't learned how to even reproduce. They just died of old age. Whoa. The other thing I found interesting, which he doesn't really touch on, he just says, of the 122 that are remaining, 22 are male and 100 are female. It's a huge imbalance. Interesting. Yeah. And that was never explained. And I don't know if that's just because naturally these populations... Like maybe it was that the whole time there were more females than males because of the way the populations work. But that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It's kind of interesting that
1: it's a it's an interesting paper. I mean, if you enjoyed any aspect of listening to us talk about it, or you're just curious, it's a quick read. Yeah, definitely it worth pretty it's worth read. checking out. At least check the news par- news article.
0: Yeah, we'll post that article that kind of gives a good overview. The conclusion has a few great gems. First of all, Calhoun straight up says. The results of this study should be obtained when customary causes of mortality become markedly reduced in any species of mammal whose members form social groups. Dun, dun, dun. But that's like a uh, citation needed, dude. Like, he just says that outright. Like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's his observation. But he says that these results should be obtained for any species of mammal.
1: Oh, these are, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's like quickly extrapolating it to every he just says you know, yeah this applies all over yeah okay and then um he, uh, this was weird he says autistic like creatures capable only of the s- most simple behaviors compatible with physiological survival emerge out of this process their spirit has died the first death <laughs> the beautiful ones The be- <laughs> he's like my precious yeah um, the gods so he's saying like well uh, an animal that's simple like a mouse their complex behaviors are basically just courtship and maternity territorial defense and then uh, he says for an animal so complex as man there's no logical reason why a comparable sequence of events should not also lead to species extinction if opportunities for role fulfillment fall far short of the demand by those capable of filling roles and having expectancies to do so, only violence and disruption of social organization can follow. Individuals born under these circumstances will be so out of touch with reality as to be incapable even of alienation. That, honestly, like, reading that paragraph struck a huge chord for some reason with, like, today's modern society.
1: Yeah. I wonder about this a lot, especially listening to hardcore history. tie back to that, like, all the time. In the World War One episode, Dan Carlin mentions that, like, you know, all the craziness that we see in the world today and geopolitical strife, especially with the Middle East and Europe and the West, is a result of World War One. Mm. Still, you know, yeah, over hundred years later, hundred years exactly, basically. And I wonder, like, are what we is what we are experiencing now just still like some, you know, the the ringing that remains from like the bell of the Industrial Revolution. And this huge increase in population growth,
0: yeah, it could be. I mean, what's There's that phrase like force. Like deaths of despair are like a huge cause of death, basically like suicide and drug overdoses. Yeah, among like white middle-aged Americans, pretty much like mm-hmm. people who have it the best off, probably of almost anyone in the world. Deaths of despair is like this is like this huge problem, you know? Yeah, it's like it's like what he's sort of laying out in this paragraph here. If opportunities for role fulfillment fall short of the demand of those capable of filling roles if you feel like you are worthless to society even if you have everything that you need like you're gonna be freaking depressed you know
1: yeah and i've heard that especially i forget what the exact like prediction is but when you have a certain amount of population of like unemployed young men without wives yeah it often leads to conflict and like revolution or war or stuff like that
0: or mass shootings or Or mass shootings. (laughs) again i'm like i'm like very irresponsibly riffing on this mouse experiment but yeah but it's really hard not to look at the problems that we face today and think
1: hmm what what does it extrapolate what doesn't yeah yeah we could use a little
0: natural selection you know (laughs) sometimes it feels like that i don't know i mean don't you ever feel that longing of like man it would be really cool to just have been born like 50,000 years ago and like have never known this world and just be like you lived on the plains and like hunted deer.
1: Yeah, I think about that in the morning when I take like a warm shower and I'm not being hunted (laughs) by a saber-toothed tiger.
0: No, you know what I mean? Like, No, no, but I I actually mean that seriously.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But like I'm like, wow, I wonder what it would be like, you know, almost everything we do at this point in our lives once you reach a certain point is like how can I further maximize comfort?
0: yeah well and it's like you said you know you're depressed for like a week because you fail a math test it's like that doesn't affect anyone that will not change anything in the world like the universe will continue to exist and granted it would also continue to exist if we died or whatever there are social consequences right but it's like we're stressed over these things that actually have no real bearing on like our survival
1: literally zero physical consequences. things
0: that are totally manufactured where it's like well, if I was born 50,000 years ago, the things that I would be stressed about would be like, I need to find food. Like, or like getting food would be extremely Or Org fulfilling. over there stole my deer hide. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go bust into his apartment. Chew off his, Chew wife's, off tail. his wife's tail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, you know, it's very it's very easy for me to say like, oh, what a romantic existence that would be when it's horrible that many people have to live like that today but that's why but say, it's fascinating to think about it. But that's why I say 50,000 years ago. It would be great to have lived, you know, when humans were just, you know, walking around in the plains and
1: yeah, whatever. It would have been interesting to see like, like pre-civilization or even like Mayans or like these cultures where they think that maybe overpopulation set them up to be more sensitive to like climate change or things like that. Yeah. If only
0: go back in time. Yeah. They also don't they think that um This is actually a paper I wanted to do as one of the first episodes of Paperboys and I never got around to it. There was a paper that said the Easter Island like tribe or tribes. Oh yeah. They think that the demise of that population was related to overpopulation and like climate change. Or not climate change, but like the effects of overpopulation on their ecosystem. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll do that for an episode. Yeah. (laughs) A year late. Oh wow. Whatever.
1: Nice. Well, Fascinating paper. Fascinating, Fascinating this is paper. It's a long episode. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. If you have any ideas for future bonus episodes, feel free to send them to us. If you can't tell, we'd love making these episodes.
0: Yeah, the bonus episodes are fun. Thank you everyone for actually supporting the show. You guys are yeah. you guys are the engine that keeps this whole thing moving, so we really appreciate it. Yeah. And we're still waiting. We have a patron at the first author level who needs to send us their actual bonus episode topic. Time's so still ticking. waiting on that, yeah.
1: In the figurative sense. <laughs> and literal sense. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, it's ticking there's no deadline. Oh yeah. We're not gonna
0: place an artificial societal deadline on you. No. To apply pressure. No. No, but seriously, uh I know we probably don't say it enough, but thank you to all the patrons. You people are really great. We really love you. Bring this actually of- it makes me feel really happy, like knowing personally who the people are that are listening to this episode instead of it being like mostly faceless, which is, you know, the regular show is really fun to make and it's exciting knowing that people listen, but I know who all of you are and you're all really great and you've interacted with the show in a really meaningful way and it makes me really happy to think of each of you listening to this. So,
1: Charlie, I share your meaningful human, societal, group, animal sentiments. <laughs> Thank you all. My Honestly. Honestly. Please join us next month for another exciting bonus edition of Paper Boys.
0: Thank you for listening.